episode 29 of the Tactical Breakdown podcast. Today we're going to be talking about serving as a law enforcement officer and military member from an indigenous perspective, as well as the role of fitness and how it applies to law enforcement. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown, a podcast for law enforcement, military, and emergency response professionals. Stand by. Where we help you bridge the gap and talk training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts in the world. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. And we're back to the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. Thank you for being here. If you're brand new, welcome. And if you're a returning listener, I mean, I say this every time, but thank you so much for being here. Your support means the world to me. I'm really excited today because I got the chance to sit down with a very close friend of mine, somebody who I've spent a lot of time with out of Saskatoon. So before I get into explaining what the conversation is going to be about and who he is, I just want to let everybody know that we're really excited because we actually got our t-shirts in for the Tactical Breakdown podcast. Now, we're going to be rolling out the store online on the new website right away. So if you're listening to this and it's still March 2020, stand by. That uh, that website's going to be launched right away. If you're listening to this in the future, I mean, you've already seen it. You're already there. Go to the store, tacticalbreakdown.ca forward slash shop, and you can check out the t-shirts and all the other stuff that we're going to have available for you. All right. So today's discussion is was very interesting to me and it was because I had the opportunity to sit down with my friend Joel Peterson who is currently the RSM or Regimental Sergeant Major for the North Saskatchewan Regiment and um, he was there when when I was serving there and uh, just an amazing guy he is a 25 year veteran of the Saskatoon Police Service uh, recently retired and his wealth of knowledge and experience uh, you know is is amazing and the one thing that we talk about today on this episode, uh, because Joel does come from an Indigenous background, that he explains his story of how he came up, how he came to be a police officer, the challenges that he faced, and that currently face Indigenous youth and Indigenous persons trying to get into law enforcement or the military. And then we get a chance to discuss one of the things that he is most passionate about, which is fitness and how that applies to law enforcement and the military and just to people in general. So really exciting, uh, kind of a multifaceted conversation that we have today. I hope you really enjoy it. I hope you gain something actionable from it. I know you will. So let's jump right into it. Here we go. Joel, thank you so much for being here today, my man. I really appreciate you taking the time and I'm glad we could jump on the call. I really appreciate it too, Adam. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, absolutely. When I when I started putting this podcast together, uh, you were on my list of guys that I wanted to have on for sure because we do have uh, a relationship previously from being with the Canadian Armed Forces. So it's an honor to have you on, my friend. And I'm uh, I'm so glad that we can talk about what we're going to talk about today and see what happens, man. It's going to be fun. yeah, awesome. Okay. All right. So when we had discussed what to talk about on the show, one of the things that came up was the state of indigenous policing in Canada, mostly, um, and, and somewhat in the U.S., and how that's changed over the years, and what you have actually done in your career in law enforcement over 25 years uh, with the Canadian forces and the military, and how you've developed businesses and programs to, to kind of help bridge that gap. So I'm really excited to talk about that. Can you maybe give us a little bit of your background and kind of how that's going to play into our conversation? Sure. So Tanse Joel Peterson Nesegasun Saskatoon Oche. That's Cree, uh, which I, I'm a, an Indigenous man and I'm a member of the Fond du Lac First Nation and uh, connected to the Miccosuc Cree Nation, which are both uh, Northern First Nations in Saskatchewan and, and Alberta. Being a former police officer, I'm, I'm really proud of that. I, I had a great career, uh, 25 years with the Saskatoon Police Service. And I saw a lot of changes, and I'm sure a lot of my colleagues did as well and are still seeing changes. Um, I'm proud of the fact that uh, the Saskatoon Police Service is, has been actively uh, addressing the fact that there isn't a, a substantial number of Indigenous uh, police officers on the department. And that's uh, First Nation, Métis, and Inu um, officers. And the demand is growing for police officers 
uh, throughout not only Saskatoon but Canada, the U.S., all over. I mean, we're we're at a place right now where we're dealing daily throughout the world with with situations from um, the day to day operations requiring you know cities and towns to live healthy and, and active to lockdowns of school shootings and and um, just the 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 day-to-day grind of, of what we're dealing with in the, in the world. So I think it's, it's really important in this day and age to uh, I, be able to identify and have trained Indigenous uh, perspectives when, when uh, working, especially within our uh, communities that have Indigenous people in it, which are throughout the world. It was really interesting. Prior to this call, I was pulling up information from census information in Canada and the U.S., and and population densities based off ethnicity and it was it was kind of shocking to me well i mean if you live in canada i mean you live in central canada you you understand that the the two provinces um in central canada manitoba and saskatchewan um have a much much higher percentage of indigenous population than the remainder of the country barring um the the northern territories so Mm -hmm. if we're looking at and and i'm just looking at a, a printout right here by population 18% 18% in Manitoba, 16.3% in Saskatchewan, and the remainder of the provinces are anywhere between 2 and 5%. So significantly higher, but if you look at the number of Indigenous police officers by percentage as well, it's lower than the, the population average. And that's something in policing, it doesn't matter if you're in Canada or the U.S., and we speak about the U.S. and how um, obviously they have a majority, a vast majority of police officers that are Caucasian, based off of their population size. We have the same thing up here in Canada. And it's something that's being, it has been changing over the last 20 years or so. And most, and a lot more uh, most recently in the past decade, what do you think has contributed to, to that change of mindset is that we have to start matching the, the number of, of people by population to our representation in our police forces. Wow, great question. Uh, so, you know, there's a few things there. I, th- I think um, one of the things that's happening, especially in Canada, is that um, we really are a melting pot of a lot of different countries in, into Canada and ethnicities. And I think right now, recognizing in Indigenous people, in particular with, uh, you know, highlights to the justice sector with the calls to action within the, the TRC, which is the Truth and Reconciliation uh, commission report. Uh, it outlines a lot of things that needs to take place and, and also keeping in mind of, of UNDRIP, um, the United Nations uh, Declaration for Indigenous People. I, I really think that there's there's a, a, con, a consented uh, effort to really move forward with having more Indigenous uh, representation on police services across Canada. When you first started in policing, can you talk about that a little bit, how, how you felt as an Indigenous man getting into the police force 25 plus years ago and what that was like then versus what it's like now um, for newly minted officers that are coming in? Sure. When I first got into policing was uh, 1992. And so in Saskatoon in particular, there was a, a, a recent, there had been a, a recent um, investigation in, uh, into the disappearance and death of a gentleman by the name of Neil Stonechild, now known as the Stonechild Inquiry. Uh, it, was, it was a different uh, kind of area within Saskatoon as, as far as how people were reacting to this. I hadn't even lived in Saskatoon during that time, so I wasn't really all that aware of, of what the um, relationship with the Indigenous people and, and the general public in Saskatoon was. But, I mean, I grew up in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, and, uh, and in Brandon, Manitoba. So, I mean, as a kid, I, I kind of knew uh, that there was definitely some racism and stereotypes and, and things like that. And, and I believe there always will be stereotypes and, and racism and discrimination. I'm not saying that it'll ever be eliminated. Um, but I think there was probably, a, there was more of it than, than there is now. Uh, even in light of, uh, I think, of, of just the way international um, and mainstream 
um, politics and agreements are currently. So for me, starting off as a young police officer, uh, I kind of had a little bit of an advantage, I think, because at that point, I wasn't, um, I wasn't really looked at as an Indigenous person. And, and it's, it's kind of a, a complicated explanation for that. Um, but I'll, I'll try to uh, try to shed some light on that. So I grew up uh, in a uh, non-Indigenous home. So a lot of the opportunities that I had, uh, were I wouldn't have had if I had grown up on a res, on a reserve. So I had opportunities to, for schooling, um, sports, the arts, and, and a lot of different things things that, like I said, maybe uh, an Indigenous kid from, from a remote reserve wouldn't have had. So my mindset was already a little bit different. I, I really was able to um, engage within um, that population without, without any problem. When I first started policing, there was uh, one other, actually there was two uh, Indigenous officers, uh, both Métis fellas. Uh, on the police force. So I was the third a visible uh, Indigenous person on, on the Saskatoon police. At the time, it was police force, which we shortly turned into police service after that. So I didn't really recognize at that time how important that was. Um, as the career, as I went through my career, uh, I started identifying more with Indigenous uh, background and my indigenous heritage uh, and was able to um, I think provide some opportunities for other indigenous people to uh, really think about the career of policing and I think Adam we had sort of discussed earlier you know about what what drives someone to become a soldier or, or, or a police officer right mm -hmm. and, and I think that you know, a cert, it takes a certain type of guy or gal to, to put their hand up and say, I want to serve. I want to, I'm willing to put my life for the betterment of, of my community or my country. It takes a certain type of person to do that. And I don't think that all Indigenous people are not willing to do that. I think they want to do that. I think some, you know, there's some people that uh, are drawn to it, uh, like you were to the military. Uh, like I was the military. And I, I think that for me, I had the support of uh, my, my family, my parents and, and my extended family to continue to that. So to promote that, to encourage that. Whereas if we look at it historically, uh, there is some challenges, especially within the indigenous communities for that. I mean, I mean, it only takes a little bit of opening up a history book to, to see some of the challenges that have, and some of the atrocities that happen in Canada and the U.S. and you know Australia, New Zealand, well, throughout the world of colonization, and I think even though we'd like to think those effects are done, they're not. They're still here. Doesn't mean that we have to wear it and carry it, but we have to recognize it and see. Well, what? How does that affect business right now? So that was a really long answer to your question. I think I. I'm not sure if I. Uh, filled that no that no that's absolutely perfect it's interesting i know in speaking with you and 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 working with you in the past and with the north saskatchewan regiment one of the things that we that was brought up and was talked about was just the the amount of indigenous personnel and units um and, and the things that they accomplished with the canadian forces in in regards to world war ii and and things like that and same in the United States. I mean, there's been huge, there's, I mean, so much documented um, about the people that served their countries from Indigenous backgrounds. And I think you're absolutely right. I think that there is a, there is a want to, to do that. I think it's just, there's, I don't know if it's just that, like you said, with the colonization, disenfranchisement of that ethnic group. They fear that something is going to go wrong, or that people don't want them to do that. What do you What do you think? I think that um, service is always, especially for Indigenous people. I mean, come from a warrior society, um, even before European contact in, in North America. Um, the different First Nations had their their way of of dealing with battles, and they and they battled. I think for 
especially, you know, if in, in Canada, if we go post 1885, you know, we, we had the Boer War and there was, a, there was a strong request from the British Empire for service for, for people that could be strong outdoorsmen. And, and a lot of those ranks were filled by Indigenous people. And then World War One and World War Two and, and, and Korea, and, and there's still a time at that time where, I mean, I think any one of us who are listening remembers, you know, being that teenager or young 20 year old wanting to travel and, and be part of something bigger than ourselves. And so that draw to, to being part of the military and being part of the uh, policing, I think that's still a draw for, for a lot of those guys and gals that, that put their application in even now. So regardless of them being indigenous or non-indigenous, uh, but I think for for those indigenous guys and gals, it's 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 an opportunity to um, bring pride to not just themselves but their their community and their people. Right? Some of the programs, especially in the Canadian Forces, that that we're moving forward with, we look at programs like Bold Legal, which is now thirty years. They're going to be this going to be their thirty first year, and that's that. The whole concept of that is for to bring in indigenous people from all over Canada and do their boot camp, but still be able to have um, some indigenous awareness because some of these guys and gals have grown up in the city and they know nothing about their culture. So when we look at the greater government within Canada and the context of that reconciliation, this, this is an active part of reconciliation that, that you know, the military has been doing for well over 30 years effectively. And, and we've kicked out other um, um, indigenous boot camps like that across Canada from, from the West coast to the East coast, uh, Francophone and Anglophone. So it meets a lot of, and you know, we look at other programs that, you know, like the RCMP are doing and, and, uh, Saskatoon police service and Regina police service, um, bringing in youth so they can see what the what policing looks like, because I think that there's a, a misconception that, uh, police officers are only, cut from one cookie cutter <laughs> it's so far from the truth right we know that what are some things um i don't know if if uh, i don't mean to put you on the spot but what are some things that these agencies that are kind of at the forefront what are they doing to to start to to bring these these youth in and, and to run these programs is it is it based off the canadian forces model um or is it is it something specifically is it is there a reason why it's you know saskatoon regina is it based off of population as to why there's more of a push to run these types of programs or do you think this is something that's going to be kind of rolled out across the country yeah great question so Unfortunately, you know, I don't, I don't have enough information for, for Eastern Canada or really uh, far west into BC. Um, so I'm not sure what the OPP are doing um, or some of those bigger centers. I know that, you know, Saskatchewan, we have been for as long as I was policing. So, you know, that post-Neil uh, Stonechild kind of era, we were actively looking, right, we need to, we need to change business here. And again, the, the highest, the fastest growing demographic uh, in, in Saskatchewan and, and Manitoba, Alberta are, are the Indigenous peoples. And so when we look at that from a, a human resource aspect, we, we need to be aware of, of, of that growth. And so not only the people that we're going to be protecting and, and providing services to, but these should be the people that are, should be in uniform doing the job. So opening some of those doors that usually would be not able to open, I think are, are some of the, is some of the intent behind that. Cause again, you know, it, we, we know that the demand is there for um, police officers across North America. And, you know, I, I can't really speak for um, our, our U S partners in the South. I mean, I've, I've met a number of them in, in different uh, capacities, but it, it's, it's a matter of, of, of not being a direct mirror, but being a mirror of who you're protecting or who you're working for. So I think that there's some of, uh, you know, the, the developing those strong communication skills and understanding the historic and, and contemporary indigenous issues that are there are real. It's a real world focus that, that needs to happen. And I think that the, the agencies like the Sebastian Police Service and Regina Police Service, because I, I can really only speak about Saskatchewan for my uh, policing career, 
that's where I did the majority of my work is that being able to open these doors and give a, an overview of, of, of what opportunities are there for them is, is really important. And I think that the, the focus there is, is about uh, an overall understanding. And if you look at Saskatoon, for example, they started up a cadet program. So now, you know, we're partnering with the uh, school board and, and, and having a, a safe place for these inner city youth to go to and, and learn about policing and get, getting to meet police officers and getting to do physical activity, having some structure built in. And is that based off of the, you know, the cadet system, like the military cadet system? Well, a little bit, but it's, it's, it's their own, you know, the police agency owns that and, and has kind of put their own brand on it. It's been uh, pretty cool to see it grow over the years and, and to still be a, be able to be a part of that. So I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity to still have that link to my, uh, to my police service. Cause I really do feel like it's still my police service. That's awesome that you feel so connected to your community. And I know one of the things that I want to talk about is, is how you're, how throughout your career and now, you know, post-service, what you're doing with the communities and the programs and the businesses that you've, you've built. But one thing I just want to point out real quickly to, to uh, anybody, if you're listening to this, those cadet programs, and, and even though we're talking about it in the context of Indigenous persons in your communities, I think this stands true for, for any minority, um, depending on your police force, if, if the, the majority of your community is any other type of minority group, depending on where you are um, in Canada, the US, or around the world, whatever that minority group is, these are programs that you can use to bridge that gap to, to create those relationships and start building, building up that trust in, in the police service in, in those groups. So I just wanted to, to point that out because I think that's a, that's a great point. Yeah, you know, I've seen over the years some great um, posts and because social media has grown so much in the last kind of decade here, I mean, there's lots of information out there and there's always like some really cool stories that I see coming out of the States where, you know, um, officers are working in the community. And when I first started policing, that was really when community policing was just starting. And, and I think some of the older officers didn't really like it. They're like, well, that's not what we do. We don't do that. That's, that's more social work. And I don't know. I, I didn't really see it that way. I, I saw it, you know, and it was a, a time before Instagram and, and Twitter and, and everything Insta. You know what I mean? Like, so stopping your patrol car in uh, inner city and, and just talking with some kids and shooting some hoops or playing some because we're in Canada, playing a little bit of, you know, uh, road hockey with them. It just broke, broke barriers. It, ch it changed the way kids and the community saw us. And, and most of that, I think, especially as I was first starting, it was, it was kind of the, it was kind of the newer cops that were doing that. But there was, there was other officers there that were, were also doing those kind of things you know, in the community that they lived in, not so much in, you know, the, the community that they were working in. But I, I still think that that community engagement is, is a huge part of doing business because it, we really are providing a service for community. We're protecting them. We're looking after their health and welfare. We're, we're ensuring that we're providing a safe place for them to live. And if we can, if we can segue that into building those relationships you never know if one of those young guys or gals are gonna you know a few years finish their school and and want to become a police officer we can only hope right yeah it's it's really interesting as you're saying that i'm my mind cycling through kind of all of the uh, social media stuff that that's been coming out and how that's played such a huge role in community policing and because of the the topic that we're on it brings me to um randall arsenault out of toronto um, who is extremely active on social media, Instagram, TikTok, those types of things. And he does a fantastic job of, of showing the human side of policing, right? Showing that police officers aren't just there to enforce the laws and to make arrests. They're there to protect the community and be part of the community. And I think it's a totally different topic and, we'd, and we could spend hours on it, but talking yeah, about how social yeah. media has changed that landscape and allowed agencies and officers to kind of get 
access to some people that they may not have had access to before, um, especially the youth, right? Because I mean, everyone's absolutely connected to their phones. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. You know, it, it's kind of the other part of that too. I mean, we're, we're in a tech, we're in a digital time now as well. Like 25 years ago, man, it wasn't like that. And, and, and the other part of it for that, for me is, you know, 25 plus years ago, I didn't really, I was proud of being a police officer, but I was kind of keeping it on. I wanted to have as much privacy as I could. So I wasn't putting myself out there. Whereas now as an entrepreneur and retired from policing, I don't have a problem with people knowing that I'm a police officer. You know, I don't have a problem talking about some of the, you know, some of the things that I uh, was involved in. Whereas before I was like, I, I really tried to keep my work life separate from my home life. And so it's been kind of an, an evolution here of, of from where I went in policing to where I am now. Um, but I, I've always kept that, that, that essence of in community engagement because I knew how important it was even back in the day. I had a, I had a senior officer to me when I was a junior officer and he said, Hey, you play soccer, man. Why don't you come uh, be an assistant coach on a team that I coach? You know, I don't have any kids on it, but it's an inner city soccer team. I'm like, yeah, awesome. So that was really the first part of, of a volunteer ism that I did was, was in that, I think within the policing context, because now there was a group of, you know, 14, 15 year old boys that, that saw myself and, and my partner here who, who by day were cops and by night were their coaches. Right. And it, it changed it because for most of those kids, the only time they saw the cops was either, you know, in their neighborhood, either arresting a family member or coming to save from, you know, uh, a vicious attack or something that's happened. That's the only time they saw the cops. It wasn't, you know, in that context of, of community and, and what that really means. So that was kind of uh, the, the beginning of, of where, I, where, where I could see that the gaps that were there within communities that I was working in in the inner cities, and especially in Saskatoon and Pleasant Hill, that the programs that the other parts of the city had for their youth were not there and still are not there. So what's old is new again, but uh, I think coming up with, with good strategies uh, is, is something that um, the community well-being and quality of life needs to take place. I know one of those strategies, especially for you, and, and you had just made reference to it, is is that physical fitness component. Sports, whether it be coaching teams or uh, volunteering uh, to help organizations, that's something that you have always been passionate about. You were passionate about it um, when I was down in Saskatoon with you. And uh, a funny story for, for everybody listening. So obviously... Um, in, in the infantry, uh, the, our favorite thing to do, our favorite pastime is running. Um, well, some of us anyway. Um, and you are, you're, a, you're an amazing long distance runner. I know you do marathons and everything. And it just drink, brings me back to, um, I don't remember what summer it was, but we, you had everybody out um, and we were training for, I don't know if it was a half marathon or something at the time. And you, you enlisted kind of all the guys from the unit and uh, we had all the kids and, and the community show up and, and we do runs around uh, the back 40. And yeah, every yeah. time that would happen, every time that would come up, I'd look, I'd look at some of the other guys and I'd be like, Oh God, I don't know if I could do this. Cause I suck at running so bad. Uh, but uh, I, anyway, funny story for everybody. So every time yeah, I think yeah. of you, I think of all the running I had to do. For no reason, but... <laughs> it was for good reason, brother. It was for good reason. Yeah. Yeah, I Those wish I would have kept it up because uh, I can't keep up with my kids now, and they're only two and three. So, um, oh jeez, yeah, I know. Yeah, right? That was that was good memory. Good thing. So, thanks for sharing that. Well, of course. So, when we talk about building out fitness programs and and how you kind of connected with the community, you why don't uh, why don't you tell us that? Tell us how you you got started and what that looks like for you sure. now. So, great question. Um, you know, I, when I look back at it, uh, it was actually a question was asked me just the other day about uh, fitness and how long I've been involved with it. And, and I look back and I've been involved in fitness and sport my, my whole life ever since a kid playing sports. And I think we learn a lot from sport. 
Um, we, we learn about that teamwork that we learn about compassion. We, we learn about empathy. We, we learn a lot of these skills. And, um, for, for me, um, that connection for sport was always really strong in, in the military and in policing because it allowed me to, uh, have those relationships with, with some of those officers who I probably wouldn't have met otherwise. And it's really about that, that teamwork and that team building for, for community again, you know, um, working in the, uh, Pleasant Hill, uh, community, which is an inner city in Saskatoon, uh, the, the social economical challenges that are there are, have been there for many years and I, I don't see it leaving anytime soon. Um, the demographics are majority uh, indigenous. So first nation Métis, uh, some Innu. There are not a lot of Innu folks here in Saskatoon, but there are some. And then um, as you had mentioned earlier, um, recent uh, immigrants from, from outside of Canada. So it, it's a combination of uh, the fact that there's a number of, youth and adults where there's no programming available for them because of some of the barriers that are there. And those barriers include um, financial. Some of them are transportation. And like I just uh, mentioned here today in Saskatoon, it's minus 41 Celsius. And for our friends in the States, that's really, really cold. (laughs) And um, it's, it's uh, tough for, for folks to be able to have that communal uh, opportunity of fitness. So, um, you know, before I segued out of the out of the policing, I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? I'm 46 years old, and uh, I still want to do things. I still want to be busy. So, I I basically came up with uh, the concept of uh, fitness uh, and consulting, where I can bring things that are really important to me and I'm passionate about, and that's that's. Uh, uh, community fitness and leadership. Those are the three real big parts that, uh, that I think are uh, make up what, what I'm about and what can I give back to community. So with that in mind, I, I went, I partnered with the uh, uh, Pleasant Hill Community Association to provide the, the community uh, youth programming, uh, including running, um, uh, functional fitness, uh, self-defense, for women and youth within the community and, and ensure that all of these were at no cost. So a lot of it has been a lot of volunteer time, but it's also been programs that have uh, been built through partnerships with nonprofits. And I've been able to take this programming now uh, and build capacity through developing fitness instructors for this programming. We take it all over Canada now. Uh, and, and mostly into northern Saskatchewan to a lot of these remote communities where there is zero programming and zero capacity, but there's still the, the desire and the hope. And, and I think that's a, a big, big opportunity for um, um, a lot of people that just usually aren't there. And it's been kind of cool because uh, there's been a couple of officers that have now joined the SPS and they're like, yeah, I remember when you came to my community, man. And we did that fitness. That was awesome. And thank you for coming and, and talk about humbling. I mean, and just like, wow, I, I had no idea that by coming up with this concept that, that I'd be able to reach so many people and, and, um, and potentially more and, and to be able to now kind of be that role model, which, you know, I never wanted to be one. I really didn't. Uh, but I, I, I am now. And, and that's, that's a huge responsibility. So, you know, I don't drink alcohol. I don't use drugs. I don't smoke. I try to live a healthy and active lifestyle, try to eat healthy and uh, try to do to the best of my ability. And if it, if that is an example for someone else, then, then that's awesome. But these programs, I, I really truly believe are, are vital to, um, the capacity within our communities and, and reducing um, crime, you know, and, and the victimization within our communities. Um, because it's just that, that being able to have that interconnectedness of with first nation and, and urban, especially urban policing 
it, it's the different, uh, it's a different game than, than rural policing. And I think for those guys and gals uh, out there listening can probably, uh, that might, might resonate with them, especially if they've, they've worked in both capacities, that it really is a different game. But at the end of the day, it's about community. So a healthy and active community is going to be a healthy, active place to, to work in. And I, I found that with, with, with work as well. So, you know, that mental health aspect for me, it's always been there. So being physically active, it's like a, it's like a circle uh, for me. It's like, a, it's the indigenous medicine wheel. It's a circle and it, it's physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And so if you're bankrupt in any one of those quadrants, you're, you're not solid, right? But if you're able to at least sometimes have a little bit more uh, in one, it, it'll, it'll help balance that out. I so. love that you were able to parlay your knowledge and experience from the time with the police force and with the military and, and take that and do things that you love to do anyways and do it to benefit the communities that you served already and now you're able to do it um, on the civilian side of things. If you were to talk to an officer, if, if there's somebody listening to this right now and they're like, you know what, I loved, I would love to do that kind of stuff with my community, whether it be like maybe start a football program mm-hmm. or, you know, or, or something like that. What advice would you give to them? Um, it would be try to find like-minded people in that community because especially if you're a, a rural police officer and you're only going to be in that detachment or that area for a couple of years, you got to have, you got to find somebody that's going to keep carrying that ball when you leave. Um, and, and that's the same way in, in uh, metropolitan policing or urban policing too. I mean, you're going to, you're going to segue out of uniform patrol, maybe into plain clothes or detectives, or you may move from a different uh, quadrant to another one. And, and you want to have that, sustainability of programming so i think i I think the big thing is uh your passion is going to be the big uh the big seller here so it's it's the it's that power of attraction rather than the power of promotion you know what i mean by that Mm -hmm. it's 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 like it's it's like that leadership presence that we have all experienced when that guy or gal walks into the room and and they aren't trying to be the tallest or the biggest in the room, but they just are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The idea of, of lead by lead by doing, not just talking, right? Yeah. So that, that whole, you know, which kind of segues us into a whole bunch of other leadership stuff that we could probably speak for an hour on and everybody could probably have great input on. But I really believe that that, that leadership concept of, of action has to be there. And so if, if something small, but is close to your heart of a sport and you're confident in it, then there are programs out there that can help you build that capacity. There are nonprofits out there that will, would jump at being, um, uh, a part of what you want to do. And I mean, it's, it's been a pretty cool ride so far and, and it's, it's not slowing down. I mean, I've been able to uh, have reached out now with the Toronto Blue Jays Care Foundation. And so being able to be a part of what they're doing in, in Eastern Canada has been really, really cool. And it just, within Saskatchewan, I mean, we, we, we have programs of learn to play programs, like learn to play rugby. I mean, the game of sevens, it's, it's a fast, quick game you know, bringing the game of basketball and soccer to the communities that may have not really played that sport before, but the kids can do it. They just need to have an opportunity. And I think with opportunity brings hope. So for a lot of these communities that, you know, are, they're desperate for, for programming. And, and it doesn't have to be a, a huge uh, agency coming in it could be you know that uh that copper that's that's in the community that can can help out so other than the fitness component i know that you provide uh some defensive tactics training that that 
came from your time with the with the police and with the military and that's a huge part of what you guys do as well working with uh companies and things like that in uh, in saskatoon and saskatchewan do you want to do you want to let us know a little bit about that as well yeah thanks for asking adam so um our the business is also uh looks at that that security public safety aspect of it um we're not we're not uh training police officers but we're we're training uh security uh, professionals and, and wanting them to be of that professional uh, designation or at least at that level of professionalism when dealing with the public or dealing with clients. So working with, um, in Saskatchewan, we, we uh, par- are partnered with uh, SEGA, which is the uh, gaming authority uh, that has the major casinos in Saskatchewan. So we provide all of the arrest and control, uh, tactical handcuffing, um, use of force, um, we, we talk about de-escalation and we do, we've been doing that programming with them now for the last three, four years. We also have provided for, um, industry, uh, security firms within the province, the same type of, uh, programming and tactics. And, uh, we have a partnership with the, um, um, community support, um, officers that work in the downtown business area where those guys and gals are they're they're really that bridge for um, um, that interaction with the less than lethal calls in the downtown core uh, that really bridge to the police service in Saskatoon you know and, and some of the other things that we uh, work with is you know being able to deal and, and providing opportunities uh, for schools you know, we talk about some of the, the, you know, some of the things that are taking place right now and, and dealing with bullying and dealing with uh, pervasive targeted bullying or harassment and ensuring that, uh, you know, through the self-defense for youth, ensuring that uh, guys and, and, and gals are, are empowered and, and at least have a little bit of knowledge to safely um, either get themselves out of a, uh, a real dynamic situation that could be um, cause of injury. Because you're doing these programs and, and as an instructor, as an trainer, what, when we talk about developing programs and, and teaching courses, we talk about how experience is important. Like it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's paramount for the instructor. And normally we're referencing, you know, okay, well, sure, you can teach a, a certain tactic because it's in the manual, but have you actually yeah. used it? Has it been yeah. tested? Have yeah. you done it yourself? Do you have real-world experience on this? Yeah. And from what I'm hearing is because your company is Indigenous-owned and operated and because of the experience and the background of you and your instructors, that has to play a role in the information and knowledge that's being shared to these these uh, security officers in these companies that where their major demographic of uh, uh, people that they interact with is our indigenous peoples. Yeah, that- absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's a really good uh, example. I think, you know, part of, part of that is just understanding protocol, right? So an understanding interactions, but it's also the protocol of, um, policing and, and understanding, you know, uh, in this day and age, you know, it, it's not that hard to, at least for me to know what is acceptable and what's not acceptable, but for others, it could be. And I think for our trainers, um, are either first nation Métis and, or have an understanding of the culture and the different challenges uh, within uh, the indigenous community. So mm-hmm. again, it, it brings an opportunity uh, to, to highlight, you know, some of the, the things that the strategies that are, that might be in place that aren't really working for that group. And we want to make sure that um, they understand the different dynamics within what they're doing and to be able to have a real, a process in place of understanding, you know, when is the right time to do this tactic? And I mean, from, from my background, um, being a, uh, an instructor, uh, being involved with um, public safety 
from a you know a high, higher level dealing with large crowds and understanding the dynamics and just the psychology of what takes place uh, when when certain incidents do take place and and understanding certain courses of action that need to be looked at or thought of. And again, all these things, especially for, you know, those people listening in policing and security and, and military has to be done in a nanosecond. And then your action is going to be reviewed. And if it didn't work out well for, we can go down anyway on that one, you're going to be held accountable. And so we learn that training for, I'm sure all of us, when we take that recruit level training, you are liable for your actions. We know that. So we want to make sure, especially in the security world, for these guys and gals who aren't, you know, making a whole lot of money doing the job that they're doing, but they're risking their lives every day they're going out there too, that they have the, the skills and drills that are going to work for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know we, you know, I know you're not a big uh proponent of self-promotion i know very much that you just like to go out and do what you do and uh, but i want to make sure that people know um where they can reach you and, and what you're putting together so your business um is called fitness 2j2 and that's at fitness 2j2.com what if, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or find out more about what you're doing where can they find you yeah so um definitely off of the web there uh, or on instagram uh, Twitter, Facebook, and so any means. I mean, we're in a digital time now. We're connected worldwide. It just that's that's just how we all roll. And uh, yeah, if, if anybody has questions or are interested in in bringing programming to their community, I'd be more than happy to to talk with them. Um, you know, we're it's it's a slow process, and especially when we're dealing with with government and, and politics, it takes time. So I, I really, you know, in this day and age from what I've seen for business uh, it's it's the the entrepreneurs or the businesses that are out there that are, are are authentic and that are building capacity that can help assist you know our agencies our police forces our uh, our defense forces and it's been uh, a real privilege to for myself to be in that space where where, where I've met a lot of very um, organized and, and, and active people that want to be a part of that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's always cool to have, you know, uh, uh, like a, a mountain bike cop stop by when we're doing triathlon training in the hood and, and the kids are like, wow, that's a real police officer on a bike, you know? And, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's just, it's just really cool. Or, you know, when we bring in some soldiers and, and they're like, wow, that's, that's a real soldier. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I think, when, when young people can see themselves in that job, I think that's, that's part of what we, we need to do as uh, serving uh, soldiers and officers is so that those kids can see, you know what, this could be you if you want it, but there are certain things you got to do. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, there's certain things you got to do. And, and living a healthy lifestyle isn't always easy, and it's not supposed to be easy but that's life. That's awesome. I, uh, you know, I was going to sit here and ask you if there was anything else you'd like to share. Um, and, uh, I think that, I think that sums it up perfectly. Um, you know, get involved with, with the communities that you're already serving and, and, um, the, the even the littlest gesture can make the hugest difference, right? It's that, yeah, it's that one totally. thing that you don't even realize, you know, um, you're out on, you're out on patrol and there's a lemonade stand and you stop and you buy some juice from that, that uh, kid, that five, seven year old. Um, and maybe that's that turning point of that light bulb moment where they're like, I want to be a cop when I grow up. Right. You, yeah. you just, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, for sure. There's, I think, um, I, I remember I had one, uh, field training officers. And so I it, it stuck with me, but he's like, you know, Joel, we we're kind of like living in a fishbowl and uh, everybody's watching everything we do all the time. And you just need to be aware of that. You don't have to be scared of it, but you just need to be aware of it. There's always, you know, somebody who's watching what you're doing. And, uh, and if you're doing good things then yeah, nothing to worry about. And, um, 
So it, it, I think any time that we can be of service, uh, I think that's you know one of the reasons why, why we put our hands up to do the jobs that we do. And I think most of us uh, are in it for the long haul. And when we stop wearing the uniform, doesn't mean you stop being uh, that individual that uh, you know swore that oath or signed that signed that oath of a, of uh, work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you keep doing what you're doing. Um, you're you're. I know you're an inspiration to me. Um, you always well, have been since I first met you. So. <laughs> Thank you for that. And, uh, and I'm sure everybody listening to this too um, probably got a little bit of a kick in the ass um, to, to go out and start doing those things that maybe they thought like, ah, I don't know, and maybe they're on the fence and maybe this will be that, uh, that little bit that pushes them over and gets them more involved. So thank you for, for being and uh, being here and joining me on this show, man. I, uh, I really, really appreciate it. It's an honor to have you here. Oh, I appreciate it too, Adam. Thanks a lot. And I hope that uh, everybody has a good and safe day out there. Awesome, man. All right, stay uh, stay warm out there at minus uh, minus forty one in Saskatoon. <laughs> okay, Adam, take care, Talk. brother. All right, bye-bye. bye bye. All right, that ends my conversation with Joel. If you want to get more information about what he's doing, about Fitness Two J Two, or get in touch with him, you can go to the show notes page at thebreakdown.ca forward slash zero two nine. Or, or you can go right to www.fitness2j2.com and uh, all the information is on there as well. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. If you found it actionable and informative, please consider subscribing to the podcast. If you have an extra second, leave a rating, leave a review. That would be awesome. I really appreciate it. Or feel free to reach out to me directly, adam at thebreakdown.ca. I'm always, always happy to get emails from anybody who's listening for suggestions or comments on the show. So thank you so much for joining us again, and we'll see you next time on the Tactical Breakdown. Stay safe.